Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable for all and edifying for most and equipping for those who are pastors or teachers of any kind working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation at Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is David Drury. David is a a relatively regular uh, guest here on the show. He is the chief of staff for the Wesleyan Church and is the author of, oh, I don't know, something like 10 books. He's got lots of books out there. Check them out on Amazon. And uh, yeah, our text this week is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, uh, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show along to others that they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this conversation with Dave. All right, let's do it. Uh, yeah, so First uh, Corinthians chapter eight, uh, verses one through thirteen. The whole chapter, short chapter. Uh, would you be willing to read the passage? Yeah, sure. I've got just the plain old NIV. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one Corinthians eight one through thirteen. It's titled "Concerning Food Sacrifice to Idols" in the NIV for the whole chapter, which is a very short one. Now about food sacrificed. To idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Verse 7. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating an idol in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. The Lord bless the reading of his word. 
Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day which you have made. Grant us the grace to rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we give you thanks for this hour in which we have been gathered, Dave and I and all our listeners, separated by space and time as well. We are nevertheless gathered in a moment, in an hour, uh, set aside for the study of your word. So grant us the grace to be attentive to your word. Open our eyes, open our ears to hear and see uh, what the word of God was and is and will be. Father, we give you thanks for this moment in which you are present. Please grant us the grace to be aware of your presence in the moments to come. These things we ask in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, yeah, what grabs you here? What, uh, what jumps out at you as you look at this text afresh today? Well, it's, uh, I mean, what my, um, Microchurch is going through the book of Acts, and we have been, we're, I think, in chapter, we're pretty deep into it in the 20s. And I'm also reading Willie James Jennings' commentary on Acts, which I'd never touched before. I just got it. Great. Three, three months ago, or six months ago. So those two things happening at the same time, uh, reading through about the early church with you know, without sounding elitist about it, with a very early church-like gathering, right? I mean, it's sort of that Lydia's house type of a thing. Uh, yeah, both in, in a microchurch setting, not only the the mode in the sense of it being small and home, but also the fact that, at least as I recall, your, a lot of people in your group are, these aren't former, these aren't sort of post-Christians, but actually what the ancient world right. we call pagans, right? They're actually yeah, coming right, from right. other religious, and that's relevant, especially for this text, right? Yes, <laughs> that's why is. I brought very, that up. Yes, right. So, post-Christian or secular people is very different uh, than than a pluralistic kind of background, which is what Paul was dealing with. Yeah. So, anyway, sorry to jump that it's, in. It's I just felt very think it's super relevant. Yeah. yeah, super relevant. And then, of course, Jennings being a the eminent and probably best voice amongst. Uh, African-American scholars that I've been reading has just a different take on acts uh, yeah, than I'm so accustomed good. to reading, having been mostly a white European bookshelf. So as I've kind of, you know, diversified or decolonized my bookshelf in the last five years, he's probably been the one that's been the most like gut punchy for me. Mm. Like, Oh, I'm mm -hmm. so wrong. And Acts, I, I frankly, I read Acts differently. So it's hard for me to read any of the epistles now without it being through ah, the of Acts, which is, which is a good thing, I think. And so for me, when I read this, I'm thinking of a lot of, of Acts stuff. And particularly, I'm thinking of Acts 15. Yeah. The Jerusalem, Second Jerusalem Council, some people call it, I think. So I'm, it'd be interesting for us to talk about that. But just in the text, if I sit here, so let's, before we explode out, I know you like to do that later, but first of all, it's just the, it, it cracks me up that uh, it's so Paul to be like, now about food sacrifice to idols, first line. Then he like does this massive parenthetical, <laughs> like, you know, language bending, you know, uh, Rubik's cube of words. And then he, in verse four says the same thing. 
So then I was going to talk about food sacrifice idols and I can't figure out whether his parenthetical statement is all that applicable or where, or whether it's just like, Hey, here's a cool little word puzzle for you to figure out. Um, <laughs> Probably a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. I, I, usually with Paul's a little bit, but uh, um, I mean, you, this is great thing. evidence that he's, that he's dictating oh, right yeah. live yeah. to it's, someone writing down. Cause that's how you right. talk. Yeah. It, like, how, like everybody, when you interrupt somebody on a Zoom call now, they always say, what I was going to say was, uh, and so, <laughs> uh, it, 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 Zoom, it, you know, Paul's interrupting his own Zoom call with a concept here, and then he gets back to it in verse four. Uh, so that stood out to me. And then kind of has um, to get back to it even in seven, you know, like he keeps yeah, trying to yeah. develop an argument and has to kind of right. stop and clarify. Right. Verse four could be taken as the parenthetical to say, I am talking about that. I'm just not there yet. Yeah, right, right, right. Almost, right? Yeah, keep, keep, um, stay, stay, stay with me. Stay folks. with me here. Uh, stay with me. I'm yeah, developing like a, something a here. Preacher yeah. will sometimes do that, uh, you know. Yeah. It seems uh, like I'm uh, off topic, but I'm not, you know, is, is yeah. one way to take it. I, right. I don't know if that's yeah. Yeah. intentional, but I think that's It's an flow. inspired parenthetical. Uh, <laughs> so, and then he, it's just an interesting argument, which is, which is part of his parenthetical in the first few verses that it jumps out to me that really he's making a strange argument. It's not a legal argument. Yeah. It is good. a pastoral argument in that's my good. view. Yeah. He's not sort of saying, here's the legal answer to the question. Should you eat that's, food concerning? He sort of answers. We have an answer from that in Acts 15, right? We have Right. <laughs> so that's the, and I want to talk a lot about right, that. Right. Just within this text, it, it's interesting to me how he's developed in his pastoral argument that like, you need to know. And, and in some respects, he's relieving guilt maybe for those who have already done this. Like, Hey, this isn't an issue for you. It, he kind of almost implies it's not been an issue for me. Like he, he sounds yeah. like he's been, you know, partaking as well. Uh, you could definitely read that between the lines, I think, that he's been eating it. But then he develops this backward argument, which I can't – can you imagine a quote-unquote Judaizer? And I oh do the quote-unquote yeah. thing because that's another thing that jumps out. He does like things in quotes over and over again here. Now, I know there's no quotes in the original text. Yeah, but you can infer them at least in some you can places. Infer this, yeah. yeah, like he, there's, he, there's a so-called – that's in the original in verse 5. The so-called, five. the many gods and many lords, uh, the phrase, there yeah. is no god but one, an idol is nothing at all in the world. There's these little like ways And even the talk. opening line, you know, we all have knowledge is probably uh, that, a reference a to something. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a Greek saying. Do you do you have any background on that? I mean, my Does understanding. It no, it's kind of almost the opposite. Of course, you know, only some people have knowledge, right? And I think the yeah, the, right. there's a most of these starting in seven. Although there's a few references earlier, but starting in chapter seven, he has that line concerning what you wrote to us, and. Then he goes through a number of these topics now concerning food offered to idols, these, these various right. topics that seem to have been in a letter that we don't have from the Corinthians to him. And these, right. and then they sort often of right after, and then right after that, there's usually some kind of quote, like the everything is permissible line in six, or it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with his wife beginning of seven, right? So most of them start with a kind of quote. And he, in this very, again, very pastoral rhetoric, he doesn't just sort of straight out say spot on or dead wrong. It's always a kind of yes and or no, yeah. but right. Like kind of, he's always doing this kind of 
a pastoral discernment about the elements of truth and falsity and a good, better, best kind of options of what's behind these these little slogans that are getting thrown around. And whether the slogans appeared in the letter, I, there's some sense, I think, that the person who wrote the letter might have been the people who were more loyal to Paul in their minds and were kind of saying, there's people running around saying blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it helps to not hear this as because I don't think the argument would work very well if you have a straight up, either an extreme, as you call it, Judaizer, or an extreme kind of Gnostic, right. pagan, who cares person, uh, lawless person. It seems to be that these are people who are kind of loyal to Paul saying, have you heard what people are saying? They're saying blah, 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 right? Yeah. And, and, he, and so he's the very – The kind of person that would write a letter. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, right. And very cleverly, he doesn't just say, yeah, those guys are idiots. Yeah. But a little bit more of a – well, there is an element of truth in what they're saying. Right. He, so he's saying that. two things at once. It's and that's yeah. why it's so pastoral. So it's he, hard to tell who he's talking to. And like pastors yeah. have to do, you always have more than you have people with different needs in your audience. You know, and you can't just say, Hey, everybody here who is struggling with the opposite problem, just close your ears. Like you can't do that. You have to address a group. Can't do that yet I've heard that a thousand <laughs> yeah. times. Oh yeah, um, of course. But it's like yeah. it doesn't work. <laughs> close your ears. That's the only time the teenagers start to listen for a little bit. Um, yeah. You have to for find sure. a way to speak to different struggles. The, the, the knowledge, those who know and the weak, and it may have been the weak who wrote to him. It may have been those who claim to know who wrote to him. Uh, it's really ambiguous. So that's why you're right. These, these quotations are really important and they're not even strict quotations. He's kind of like playing with slogans and playing them off each other. And yeah, you brought up Judaizers and we, we went off on the, 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 the quotation mark question. Did you want to say a little bit more about that, about when you say in parentheses, the Judaizers? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's the core problem, you know, like some, a lot of these, you know, books you have to, and letters, you have to figure out kind of what's the context, what's the FAQ, what's the presenting problem. We would say as a, a, a psychologist would say, um, nice. I do think that that's the presenting problem. Regardless, I think he he does it in an interesting way, and I think we need to think and and the legal answer to stuff, even in a, the legal world, is usually not enough. And so, some of what yep. I appreciate yep. about Paul's deftness here is his ability to say, "Hey, you know, it's almost a between us. Let's just let's just call a spade a spade here." you know, whatever food you eat, these aren't real idols. There's only, you know, one God, there's only one Lord. I do want to talk about that in a minute. Cause there's a Trinitarian question I have in this. <laughs> yes, <passage>. yes, yes. <laughs> but I do think that he does that like, Hey, this is no big deal, but we have responsibility in a way here. And it reminds me of the boy better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around your neck, kind of a moment. Hey, don't, don't hurt somebody else. And probably the there's even a powerful. word that's used in that, the scandalize, the last line mm. to cause a brother to scandalizo. That's the same verb that's very common in Jesus teaching. Um, that verb is used even in that millstone line. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's and, a good connection. Yeah. And the other connection is Matthew 18, where he says, if you sin against them. Yes. Or, or that's, is that the same or different from cause them to fall? Those are two different words, aren't they? Yeah, they're two different things, but the phrase sin against is in here too. Verse 12. Yeah. 
verse 12. If you sin against so your brother. Right. So that's right? another Jesus phrase. Uh, yeah. And the sense of calling that sin. It's funny because... Um, yeah, it looks like he let him off the hook in verse eight, but yeah, by verse he, oh man, by verse thirteen, it's a it's sin a against the, the Messiah. <laughs> it's a good a good preaching point too, because you can do this in a sermon where the first half feels like, oh, he's serving me honey, and then yeah, and then <laughs> twist the night, and it's like, oh, that honey, you know, you know, I'm it, it, it it's not poison, but it's certainly something that changes and makes you feel conviction, and that's what he does here. Yeah, he calls it sin. He can't escalate it any further. And, you know, you don't want others to fall into sin. Now, of course, the way he's doing it is in a way that is, you might almost say, it's a little demeaning. I think if if, if a Judaizer picked up this letter, they would be hmm. offended by this passage and be like, I don't have a weak conscience. Uh, yeah. Sort of lumped in the same boat as somebody that's a brand new convert that used to go to the temple and eat sacrificed food all the time. They're sort of lumped in the same boat as those people, which you're is right. That's clever. Probably the most offensive thing you could say to a Judaizer. Well, this um, is part of why Paul would have been so controversial because these letters would have got passed around because so, there probably weren't a lot of yeah. Judaizer types in oh, Corinth. My hunch is and, it's a very pagan town. But let's say there's three this, or this four. Gets around and, and yeah, and they're like, oh man. And, and, and of course, somebody's getting up in front of the group and they know that, you know, Rick and Josiah are over there are, are uh, you know, our Judaizers, and he's reading this in front of Ephesus yeah. or or yeah. in Crete or who, wherever, and knows how that's going to patch a uh, pack a punch. So anyway, I, I, that jumps out to me, and then yeah, the, the Trinitarian good. question jumps out to me, which is, what does he mean by the thought that um, I, I would want to spend a good deal of time understanding what he meant in verses five in six, just about God, the father, and then the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit is never mentioned. The father is called the God who created. It doesn't match some of the other language that he uses, which is more precisely Trinitarian. And so I don't know if it's, you know, I, I, and I, maybe you have some perspective on that, but that's the stuff since I haven't researched this passage, that's the stuff I would want to go ask, go ask commentaries about and yeah. say, what does this mean? And does it mean anything? Or is it more just kind of one of his parentheticals? How about yeah, you? Well, what jumps out to you? Well, I say we take a break and come back and, and focus on that last thing for a little bit. Cause I was definitely drawn. I was sucked into verse six mm-hmm. as like, a little poem almost that's just mm-hmm. really fascinating. So maybe, and, and then the, just the sort of, as you call it, this sort of theological stuff in the first couple verses, and then, and then obviously move towards the practical application of those towards the end. So let's take a quick break and come back and focus on that. Hey, John here. I just wanted to share a little bit about some of the bonus content that will be available to you if you choose to become a patron saint of the Fresh Text podcast. As you know, we are launching a Patreon account for Fresh Text here in the third year of the show. 
uh, seeking to just get a little financial support for some of the overhead as well as for uh, especially Todd and the the editorial work that he does behind the scenes that he's been doing for free for two years here now. And honestly, I'd like to see him get paid for some of this work that he does. So uh, some of the extra content that we've been uh, dreaming up, if, if you come in at the, the, the $3 level of Simon the Fisherman, in addition to community access, you'll get a monthly bonus episode. Now, the, the format of that's going to vary month to month. Uh, some of it's going to be generated by the community. Uh, if there's, you know, some weeks it'll just be like a mailbag, a bunch of Q&A and answering some questions that are being asked. We have some crazy ideas. I mean, uh, Brandon Hancock and I are cooking on cooking up a, uh, an episode talking about some films. So we might do some some strange topics uh, that aren't just usually going through the lectionary texts and things like that. So you'll get some special content that way. If you come in at the, the $5 level, uh, the Paul the Tent Maker level, in addition to the community access and the monthly business, uh, bonus episode. You're also going to have a weekly special episode. This will just be a short episode, just me leading through a sort of meditation on scripture that'll be distinct from the Monday episode. Those will come out towards the end of each week. So that's a extra content that will be available just to you, uh, but right there in your feed. Um, if you come in at the, the $10 level, that's we've named the Joseph of Arimathea level, in addition to that, a monthly bonus episode and weekly special episode, you'll be eligible to, to join an exclusive live Q&A. So we'll actually do a sort of live time uh, with me and perhaps some guests as well. Uh, we'll we'll uh, see what you desire. Uh, again, we'll lean on the community to to, to decide uh, what, what you actually would like there too, as well as a patron shout out. We'll give your name a quick shout out on the show. And uh, for the, the crazy ones out there who want to go at the Queen of Sheba level, they'll get all of that uh, plus a VIP experience that's TBD still to be invented based on what you would like. So what is it that you would would like to have? Would it be a private conversation with me or one of our guests? Uh, something like that. Uh, we'll see what that is. It'll be a little bit uh, based on your own interest. So as you can see, this is a new thing, the new Patreon experience. And the core of it really is the community. And a lot of the the shape of the, the bonus content will somewhat emerge through the influence of what the community uh, is looking for. So that's a little picture of what we're doing. Uh, so most of all, just don't forget to strongly consider to join the Fresh Text community at patreon.com slash fresh text. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, the whole chapter, nice short chapter here with my guest, David Drury. And uh, yeah, right before the break, you mentioned that you were curious about some of these assertions he's making about God and, and Jesus in verse 6. I think it's fun to sort of walk through it, starting even in verse uh, 4. So like you pointed out, he he kind of starts his argument back in verse, you know, one and two with the uh, playing off knowledge and love and loving God. And, and then we're known by God. We might, I could, I could see us coming back to that, but then he kind of like pauses and is like, well, okay, that let me, let me, let me, let me start the argument from a different angle. Right. So regarding food sacrifice to idols, it's like, well, okay, what's the problem with an idol? Well, what do we know about idols? They are objects that stand in for invisible divine realities 
And he kind of does, I don't know, it depends on how you read these and, and the translations, I mean, all, even I've got the ESV out here, which is usually pretty wooden, but it's supplying tons of words that aren't in the original because Paul writes in this very, what's the right word is kind of opaque is not the right word, but he, he often tends to just throw stick verbs next to each other and move on. And you don't exact. So like all those words like live and exist and all those, none of those verbs are in the original. So it's just so tons kinda, of verbs. He's kind of proto Hemingway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in Greek, if you, if there's no verb, the verb is, is that's just kind of, uh, okay. um, so like, like the famous line, my favorite example of this is in second Corinthians five. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's if anyone in Christ, new creation, that's it, right? No verb, no nothing. Just, and sometimes when you translate it, I just put a dash because it's like, yeah. That captures the kind of energy of his style of writing. That is right? a, it is a very energetic kind of yes, crisp yes, way to write. Yes. And so and in English you don't always have to have the verb. Poetry is. does that. Yeah. Poetry does that constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you think in English you can say like I just you know, wanted to slip that in there in case your wife I'm a poet, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, she's not read much of the poetry in scripture, but sometimes poetry <laughs> does that. Also in Tolkien and other places. No, I, I am with her in that I don't love the poetry as much as you do. Yes. No, I love that. I think it's so true. Yeah. So so it's very compact and very sort of open-ended and it affects the interpretation. So like in verse four, so regarding uh, you know food of idols, even sacrifice to idols isn't there. That That's to help us understand it, which is fine. That's not a bad translation. But regarding food, therefore, of idols you know, that has been toward an idol, you know, we perceive that, you know, there's no idol in the world and that no God except one, right? So it's real stiff and you can almost hear it though. In the world, no God, but yep. Yeah. And it's kind of like the, they are adding a lot of words. That's nice. Yeah, they they have to. We have to because it makes no sense, but it helps us kind of feel it. And I love how verse, Four first kind of says is like the negation. There's no gods, no other gods. So this is kind of monotheism. Mm-hmm. One God, none of the rest. It's all BS, um, which is immediately interesting because it's like, okay, if you want to talk about idols, let's talk about what they're for and what they're talking about. And of course, the argument could be there's no other gods. That actually sounds like an argument to not eat food sacrifice to idols because there's only one right. God. Be loyal to that one God. That's how it, yeah, that's how the argument he probably would have made. So yeah. yeah, right. And then the next move in verse five is almost weird because it actually sounds polytheistic in the original, you know, for those who are called gods, uh, whether in heaven or in earth, there are many gods and many lords. And so, yeah, we could put quotes around that, right. but there's a part of me that wants to also say, especially because he says some stuff later in the book about there being a kind of demon, a daemon, a, a spiritual being hiding behind yeah. an idol and, and the word God is used for just spiritual things. Uh, sometimes right. even in the Bible, it, angels are referred to as gods. Um, well, and there's sometimes even that sense of there being that uh, presence over a city and a nation. Yes. And a, that seems to be a theme even in the old Testament. Yeah. So I think verse five actually almost kind of moves in the opposite direction towards a kind of power encounter polytheistic kind of, we're, you know, these, uh, there's lots of spiritual things going on, mm-hmm. 
but 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 the so-called is kind of hinting, yeah, but maybe it's all baloney. Verse back to verse yeah. four, and then six is what really brings it all together. Yes, because right. and because six is really what's called henotheism, which is monotheism is is how many gods exist. Henotheism, which is what really matters in the Bible, is what however many gods there might be. This is the god that we submit to, right? This is the real god. Um, all the others are pretenders, um, so even if what, there are other beings. Explain you know? why it's called henotheism. It's it's dumb. Uh, heno is just the Greek word for one, and mono is the Latin word for one. And so it's like a little – actually, it's another Greek word for one. So it's just a trick to kind of make up another word to describe it. So the term doesn't matter. But it's about lordship. It's about it's – Exactly. It's sort of exactly. like um, if you go to India and talk about Jesus, don't try yep. to like – disentangle the 20,000 gods of India. Uh, really, the, what matters is the lordship of Christ. Yeah, the monotheism and versus polytheism is a question of how many gods exist. It's an ontological question, right? Okay. Whereas it's an, it's an immediately ethical and living question to say, which god, which is the yeah. god to be worshipped, and which others are pretenders, and therefore demons, right? Or or fake or whatever, right? Mm. Uh, mm. Although I think he does actually believe that the others aren't really real, but in some, but there are spiritual realities. So that's why then you said lordship. I love that you said that because that then brings us to the parallelism of verse six, because the opening line is for us, to us, mm. there is one God, the father. So it's almost implying, well, maybe for others, there's other gods, but we know for us, there's only one God that matters, the one true God. This is very Jewish. And it's usually considered that Jews were, for the most part, henotheists. They weren't philosophically committed to monotheism as an mm -hmm. idea. They thought their personal God of their nation was the God who made everything. And yeah, maybe there's other gods around, but they're like gods, you know, like lesser beings or gods, you know, assistants or, you know, gods, uh, you know, uh, they're down the hierarchy of the one Lord. So I like that you said lordship because then Christ is linked to the lordship, right? So it's one God and one Lord, one God. And this is a common pattern in Paul to speak of God, the father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, right? This is his standard. And the word Lord almost always refers to Jesus in Paul's letters. So this is actually a pretty common sort of pattern of language for him that I guess, like you've mentioned, if you kind of have the whole baggage of Trinity doctrine behind, it seems like is it seems funky, right? But this is before all that is worked out over the centuries that come after this. And this is actually the ground of it is because to say that Jesus is the Lord who is the the one and only consort of the father who is God is, is already a step in the direction to saying we need to think different about. And actually, if you kind of, if you think of the Trinity as obsessed with monotheism, then it's really a philosophical question, right? But if mm. it's still about henotheism, it's about lordship, yeah. right? There's one God and he has appointed one Lord, the man, Jesus Christ, who is the one mediator between God and man. And then to recognize, well, okay, he's probably also God in order for that to make sense. Okay, well, that's a conclusion, but that's a conclusion drawn rather than the, the direct teaching of verse six. Does that make sense? Or have I just gone off on a dogmatic no, tangent? I, <laughs> I think it's helpful. And I think the, you know, the Lordship of Christ, and I don't mean with my questions about this to say that this is too sticky of a wicket to use Kent's Gank's type yeah, terminology yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a um sorry i keep making these cross references to your other podcast uh guests because i'm an avid listener of the fresh text Aww. not just 
so kind. Not just a, uh, uh, so my joke earlier about your wife was not just because she's your wife, but because she was on this show <laughs> yeah, talking about how she about doesn't poetry. like poetry. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I take her side in that argument. But uh, I, for me, Oh, okay. So verse six is a, is a poem in a way. It's verse a little, six yeah. is, and, and it's, it almost sounds hypnotic in a way. Like, it, like it's I mean, in some, in, in, in my text, it, it's it in, is? Uh, oh, it's in him form. Yeah. Okay. It's not um, in the NIV. So it's I not will, commonly translated that way, but I, I, I stick things in lines a lot. Yeah. Though. It's a little, little like Philippians two and other stuff. I, uh, for me, yep. um, when I, I would get cons- this is confused like that. Yep. about the verbs and the nouns, and the objects, I sometimes mm. go through and circle the prepositions um, <laughs> because, yeah. and I, I have this little thing where I'm kind of interested in the prepositions of God and how much theological richness there is oh, yeah. in which preposition is chosen. And I think that it's particularly helpful in Trinitarian passage or passages about the Godhead, the Trinity. Yeah. Um, and verse six, if you circle, instead of all the nouns, and you circle for us, which you already highlighted, the father from whom all things came. It's from, there's this sense in which there's a role played. There is an activity made. And that's a very Trinitarian concept. Yeah, creation. That, and that even the all, father is the father of the son. The son comes from right, the father, even in eternity. Mm-hmm. From you years ago, um, 15 years ago, maybe, when you were correcting a manuscript of mine that was potentially <laughs> heretical. Thank you. You helped me understand that everything I say about the father, I can say about the son, except that the son is the son. Right. So, right. I, so it's not as though the father expresses the quality of judgment and the son expresses the quality of grace. That's not true. Uh, The father has just as much grace as the son. You can't subdivide in a, in a spreadsheet, the qualities of the God attributes. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, Or attributes and so forth. The simplicity, right. It's uh, that's right. Of God. uh, um, uh, That's Aquinas, right? His. Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, it's ancient. Yeah. It's, 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 but the, so for me, circling the prepositions helped me that it's from and then for whom we live. So we, we live for him. And then Jesus, it's through, it's through. Yes. Double through. So Jesus is, you might say it's, it's super Trinitarian in the sense that it's the preexistent Christ through things, all things came. So it's from the God, the father through Jesus Christ. So there's this, which is, of course, I mean, that's straight up kind of like John 1 language. John 1, yep. The Word, through him, through the Word, which is more of an, act, an action of the Trinity. And then through, and what I love is how it's double rung with through whom we live. So there's this sense in which even our living is a mirror of the creation. It's a, it's a Lewis would have called it like a sub-creative yeah, act. Yeah, that's cool. So that, that, uh, that I like, and, and whenever I get stuck theologically on a verse— I'll sometimes pay attention to the prepositions. Pay more attention That's to a good, especially, especially with Paul. Paul. Yes. Oh yeah, we said at the same time. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> especially with Paul, and I, you know, we're getting into we're going to be in Paul a lot this year. So, little times of guests kind of walking through how they find their way through yeah. the through the brush of Paul's language, and I am so with you on those prepositions. Well, I mean, the, the prepositions do all of the work in the poem because there's not a single verb, Dave in the original, mm. not a single one. And it actually that this enhances everything you said and deepens this. This isn't a correction at all. I'd tell you if it was, ha huh? no, uh, but you know, Lord for knows. six, right. Uh, so us, 
And it's there's no separate preposition. It's just a conjugated hamen. It's a dative. So tus, um, as for us, one God, the Father, from whom the everything, and we unto him, and one Lord, Jesus, Messiah, through whom the everything, and we through him. It's just so yeah, it's, good. It's just, and I yeah, think this would be one where it's best to leave them out. Part. The, it and it, it it confirms the prepositions do all of the work. There's no verbs, and so, and I actually I think supplying too many verbs unless they're all the same verb actually is misleading, because it's it implies like I think your version had through whom all things exist, and we live through him. Is that yeah? Through it implies things, uh, it it double ring it uh, so th- from whom with the father. All things came, and then that double ring came with Jesus Christ, through whom all things came. So it's all things okay. Came. came. The word came is cumbersome. I feel like the NIV chose that should be there. Exist or were created is almost a better were created is how a lot of the rest of the scripture says it. But exist is probably a more powerful word. But came implies we exist. It, the creation, right? Yeah, and through whom we live. That's the way and it is creation, so it's fine. I think it's fine to say came to be or exist or was created. But even then, by supplying the verb, you actually undermines the the double sense that the text is supposed to have because this is not just ontology. This is not just talking about what's true. It's also talking about what's real and good and how we live, right? right. So live were, is a good – If you were tweeting this out for you know the Zoomer generation, you'd have to call this – Verse all the things, all the all things. Caps. Yes. <laughs> From whom all the things and we unto <laughs> him meme translation. Yep. So it's saying that God, and it's having God, the father as the kind of beginning and end alpha omega, right? Everything came from him, you know, everything from him, every, and we toward him. So you get the everything and the, we, which is implying both the, the general monotheistic truth and then the particular henotheistic right life. And totally. so I, I feel like this poem is actually the argument that ends up flowing from this actually pretty straightforwardly, even mm-hmm. though it takes a little while to see it because everything comes from God and there's only one God who cares what you eat. But since we live unto him and through his son, therefore we have to think yeah. about and behave accordingly. Yeah, right. That, so that he gets, gets him to the ethics. Through I feel Jesus. like the ethics are already built into the hymn. That's the key. Yeah. Right. And so because it, on the one hand, God made everything and, every, and called it all good. Why, why? Who cares what you eat? God doesn't care. But God has established Christ as his Lord and we're in his body. And so we need to care about every other member and what and our behavior affects them. So even if legally and theologically, it's it's a matter of non – it's an inessential. It's not yeah. – So I think one – and, and I, I think this is the point to to start to explode it out and talk yeah 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 talk uh, acts 15 in the broader context of this which is gentiles and judaism which you mentioned right at the beginning it's never mentioned jews i don't think are mentioned anywhere in this nor is the word gentile mentioned in this but that ah, is the context yeah. of this conversation and the context of gentiles living in a predominantly pagan environment that has these food sacrifice to idols. People were sacrificing food to idols in Jerusalem. They weren't mm-hmm. even in. And so it's really a diaspora problem 
uh, of ah, Jews, yeah. Hellenistic Jews. So it goes back to Acts 6 2 and the Jerusalem Council. Right. The first one, and then this, then the second one, which it explicitly contradicts, really. Um, yeah, it says food sacrifice idols is on the list of four things that. Yes, so are this required. is in direct contrast, and I think that yep. that would be interesting. I, a couple th- things about that that would be helpful that I learned from Jennings and from my church while we were going through Acts that that for me it was interesting to think about the fact that this passage is a conversation from Paul in FAQ form. So it's an exchange of letters. The key there is it's conversation with hmm. the Gentiles, not a conversation about the Gentiles. Ooh. And okay. Acts 15. That's the problem with Acts 15. <laughs> Is is about the Gentiles. And it's a conversation and among Jews who have different opinions uh, about how to deal it. with Gentiles. And even Ugh, the way that's a good insight. Jennings points out that the way James declares it, he's making a decree to the Gentiles about the Gentiles and what they're supposed to do, but the entire motivation of it is for the Jews. Yep. It's so the Jews feel comfortable, and it's sort of an olive branch extended to the Jews. And so I, yeah. what, what, in, in, first in my church and then later on started reading Jennings and I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have just read him years ago to realize this, that Acts is really a record of, so we, we tend to look at the gospels as that's when the disciples didn't know what they were doing. And then Jesus <laughs> went to heaven and then Acts is the record and of now the they get disciples it. <laughs> doing everything perfectly, which is so not true. No, no. Got to read they do, Peter. They get Cornelius to do cool miracles, but they, do. they don't get it yet. They don't get it's it the yet. power of the Spirit, but they're still, you know, makes mistakes. <clears throat> and I oh, think that's that, good. They, that's that really good. Really, Acts 8 is a beautiful, I'm sorry, um, 1 Corinthians 8 is a beautiful kind of uh, talking with the that's really good the gentile so he points that out and then the other one is you know he pointed out which i can't believe i've never thought about this that really this is all about segregation mm-hmm. this is about who you eat with because yep. jews don't eat with people with gentiles at all and one of the primary reasons was they were eating food sacrificed to idols which is and a this paramount is, problem and in an ancient culture i mean if you go over to someone's house and they put food in front of you and you don't eat it, that is the greatest insult. It's actually less insulting to just not ever to go. Not go. Yep. And that's how like, most, I, that's most diaspora now. Jews, I, that's still true. I eat all way, kinds yeah. of stuff that my f- friends from other countries eat. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck. This but in is our, and- in our kind of modern fast food culture, we kind of think, Oh, every individual person gets to pick what they eat. And so it's a lot easier to understand the first half of the argument. Like, Oh, what you eat's up to you. It's your private, yeah, right. it's your private matter. Paul's not saying it's private matter at all. And- ethnicity and all that loaded in. I think that's spot on because the simplest way, I mean, he, he almost kind of brings it up at the end. Like, cause in some ways it's, it's a, he's trying to find a kind of non or anti segregationist solution. Right. Yes. Right. To, to what he thinks is a real problem, which is if some um, in our community are troubled Either and I think, like you say, it, it, it could apply either direction. My hunch is in Corinth, you don't have a lot of Jews who become Christians, right? Who are have a troubled conscience. It's I've been from to them. I've been to, to Corinth. The There's Jews. this huge mountain with this right. big temple on top of it, and it's like the paganism of Corinth can be seen from every single house. You feel the energy of that mountain wow, with yeah. that temple on top of it, called the Acre Corinth. Mm-hmm. It's only two places in Greece I've been that change the way I read books. 
One is Philippians because it's so Roman. You can feel it the way it's laid out. Um, and then that helps me read the book of Philippians that has a lot of reference to being a colony of, mm-hmm. of Christ and being citizens of heaven, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, right? The other was Corinth is how the Acro Corinth that's called this mountain with this, with the temple up where, where you'd go up, where you'd go up on the weekend and have sex with prostitutes as a religious act. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the world that Corinth lived in and, and Paul lived there a long time. He was there a year and a half. You know, God mm-hmm. came to uh, the Lord, Jesus came to him in a vision. And told him to stay there because he has many who are coming to him. And so he he had a, he was the pastor of this community that he helped mm-hmm. plant. And these are very pagan people. And mm-hmm. so he understands like, man, if you just converted, you know this, how a brand new convert to Christianity, on the one hand, it takes time sometimes for people to kind of let go of old practices. On the other hand, sometimes there's a moment of conversion when you're just like everything before is crap and I can't do any of that now. Yeah, yeah. And to dabble to to, to dabble yeah. in some Quran reading is really right. dangerous for a brand new convert versus if you've been a you know, you've been a Christian for a few years, you'd be like, right. Hey, the Quran has a lot of cool stuff in it. Let's go look at it and talk totally. about it. And is that fair in your experience? Is, yeah. yeah, and this <clears throat> passage is so helpful in a in a practical sense to give to somebody that's a new convert to give. So this is part of why, you know, the discovery Bible movement around the world, which is multiplying the church. So Uh, quickly, what they do is they just give these questions and scripture to people, even before they converted, I might say, particularly before they've converted and say, ask these questions scripture. And then they themselves without the cultural trappings that we bring into the conversation, they then start forming their theology. Well, they're going to come across acts, or I'm sorry, first, Corinthians 8 quickly. And when they do, this is just a helpful passage for someone thinking through their own issues. I mean, I was in Papua New Guinea a couple years ago, and there's all kinds of cultural practices there. I mean, they're literally, uh, you know, tribal warfare and, and cannibalism. I met Wesleyans whose parents ate other Papua New Guineans, Hmm. um, and in warfare. Um, it was a part of their violent acts. And so it's, uh, that's a lot, that's a complicated Gentile act uh, yeah. to try to process through when you talk about eating, right? Um, so I, I would go as far as to say, well, maybe there are some things we, we might eat that do struggle. But so they're, they're processing through. What, what Although if you're a leader in one of those communities and you're invited to a new tribe and the first thing they do is, Right, a, a new tribe that that's not a believing community, and the first thing they do is offer food to you. You know what I mean? Do you stop and ask them? Uh, right. Um, that's a question, right? Is is kind of? I mean, I, I'm making. I, I this believe up, my but, weak conscience, John, would make me ask the question: Are there any? Are there any right. opponent? Well, so, uh, but I, I could imagine. I could imagine a mature. Papua New Guinean leader who could see this as a matter of adiaphora in, in Matt, you know, I'm a Jew to Jew, Gentile to Gentile. Right. Whereas, and then you, you'd be more like Paul, you're the outsider in a way, right? Right. You would probably write something along these lines. Like, well, yeah, in principle, (laughs) it might consider how practical this is and how we coach people. So Uh, I think we can. um, So here's one Halloween. Yeah, Halloween has all this. I mean, my street man, they love Christmas, but Halloween is their, <laughs> is their holiday of choice, and it, and so a lot of congregations, this becomes a question like, how do you engage with it? And I think you could just change out idols to Halloween witches. 
or yeah. whatever it is that you might say. And it's like, are there are there witches that have power? Well, on the one hand, no. Really, on the one yeah. hand, no. But on on the other hand, yeah, there's probably some kind of spiritual things in here. And then you would talk about people's conscience being weak, and you yeah. certainly don't want to do things. So so I know in my family we go out and we hand out candy. It's one of our best times to be able to connect with our community. Huh. Um, they come right to our house, which is where our church meets. Um, yeah. And that's a good thing. Uh, this year, because of COVID, we had to do like a little table where they did it, but we still got to wave to people and catch their names or or reconnect with them when we hadn't in some time. So that's all great. It's And so it's, but I think this, that's how Paul would write a letter, you know, one Fishers, Indiana to me, yeah. me asking FAQ about this. And so that's just so pragmatic. And I, and I, I think it works in Papua New Guinea. It works in Corinth. It works in Indiana. And you can see a fellow you could see a fellow Christian of yours wanting to write or have send an email or strike up a conversation with an authority in both of your lives, asking like, so like some people like really get into this, but like I it makes I I find it really troubling. And perhaps they had a background in like actual witchcraft. Do you know what I mean? And for right. them to see Dave yes. Dury just like yeah. being so comfortable with Halloween, that triggers their conscience, you know? And so yeah. And Paul doesn't kind of wouldn't straight out say, "Hey, say, hey, Dave, you can't do that." But hey, Dave, be yeah, aware of how it affects. Kinda, be aware of how it affects things other that might yeah. be you know gray areas like um, like certain substances, alcohol, um, yeah. uh, cigars, uh, other you know thing. Uh, even for some people, you know, like what the fact that you might watch movies that other people wouldn't watch. Mm-hmm. I know from you and I's grandfather, it was a television. Uh, in yeah. the home, uh, for some cultures, it's it's a and he had knowledge. Computer. He knew it didn't matter. He got yes, one. Yeah, then it was he was so, called out for it, and so he got rid of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so there's it, it a little of that. Like, okay, it, it, but I I do think that Paul gives us this weaker brother and sister. We didn't say that. Paul said that. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't want to call somebody. The yeah, weaker I know. brother or sister. <laughs> uh, and you don't do that to their face. Uh, I do think a lot of people expressing their freedom in Christ and all this stuff don't realize that they're going directly against the last few verses. Yes. That he calls it a sin. And so I certainly have freedom in Christ. I can do all, I can do all, all things, (laughs) Uh, but I'm not certainly going to do it in such a way as to call, cause somebody else to fall. And there's just a sense of responsibility we need to have there. Even somebody that's a brand new Christian in Papua New Guinea or in India or here in Indiana, even a brand new Christian has responsibility towards those people they know you just described the person that's trying to get rid of everything in their life. It's like helped clarify for them this passage that yeah. you are in Christ and you have this freedom in it. It's not really about you in the end. It's about your responsibility over those yeah. people you're trying to be a witness to. And you don't want them to be condemned again, not by the food, not by the cigar right. or the alcohol but by the sin against the, the brother or the ring, but they're, they're, they're condemned by their own conscience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which then brings them into sin. It's just a, it's a convoluted argument, but it's one that is so pastoral. Well, and that's mm-hmm. why it has to end in a very fittingly pastoral way that verse 13 does not conclude with a command. It mm, concludes no. with an I statement, which is yep. important in pastoral work. Good point. Here's the conclusion I've come to. I am willing to give, I am willing to give up. I know that I could eat anything, I, anything that anyone puts in front of me. And by the way, I do. Uh, but, you know, I am willing and ready and eager vegetarian. to go veggie, right? Because he doesn't say meat offer idols, meat at all. Vegetarian I'm willing life to, verse. 
I'm willing to go without meat. It lest a brother stumbles, right? And, and that, that, that recognition that pastoral, ultimately pastoral discernment ends up being, uh, totally. you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. At the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. I'm going to tell you how I think, how I practice. And at the end of the day, what really matters. And then you're going to have to make your own judgment, judge for yourselves. How are you going to act in light of the instruction I've offered, you know? And the example I want to give. I love that he ends with an I statement. That's just cool to me. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like the it starts with this grand truths about knowledge and love and about God and the Lord, right? And then passes through this practical weighing of the sides of things and then kind of lands with a here's here's where I'm gonna go. I, like Joshua, right? I choose this day who to serve. It's up to you to decide how you're going to follow, right? <laughs> As for me and my structure house. in how to how to preach in general, I think I think so on something that includes some gray areas. It's helpful for people to realize you're having to make choices as as a as a human, as a disciple, as a preacher too. And like you know, here's the big picture. You just did the three rings. You know, the big picture. Yeah, it's universal, the particular, right. and the singular would be nice. how to put it. Right. Well said. Sorry, I'd cut you off to summarize it, but that, oh, that was, it was three that, points. That I knew a Bardian had to give it. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and come back and talk about how we might preach a text like this. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest David Drury, and we're looking at First Corinthians chapter eight. Uh, verses one through thirteen, the whole thing. Well, man, I mean, we already planted some seeds uh, and got into the text quite a bit. But uh, where would you like to go with this? If you were going to be preaching or teaching, um, and we can yeah, we can be loose about how we think of that. How, how would you? You already mentioned like talking with and not just about or to uh, people. What are some strategies about how to make use of this text in church life? Does that make sense? So we can talk yeah. sermons, we can talk teaching, we can talk conversations. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a real practical way to go about it, and there's a real philosophical way to go about it. Okay. Um, as with a lot of Pauline work, which is part of why it's so powerful. So the philosophical is a little bit more, and perhaps you could get both done in the same sermon if you're really crafty. But the what you just mentioned, the rubric of universal, particular, singular, was that what it was? Yeah, yeah. So you could take They don't always have to go in that or, order, but or, yeah. or you could use different words like uh like you know, un, instead of universal, you could talk about for everybody and then uh for in particular for you us. could say for us and then yeah. for singular you could say for me. Like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Like if you wanted to make it really like you know, fourth grader languages, what I try to preach in. That's the, nice. That I, matches the kind of dogma, doctrine, opinion triplet. You got it. Yeah. Weird so way. do yeah. something like that philosophically <clears throat> and say, here's what Paul's doing. And that would help categorize it because I think a lot of people are going to get stuck on the way he it's parentheticalizes yeah. several parts of it. Like a lot of Paul, a lot of people start reading Paul and they start to hear it in kind of a Monty Python voice that it's like, yeah, he's, yeah, saying, he's kind of talking in loops uh, especially since so many preachers. And, and then we read it like Leviticus. Figures. It's just giving yeah. orders, you know, we, there's, we, right. Yeah. We hear it in a way that's sort of sing songy Christianese. And you just <laughs> give people a little bit of a rubric like that, that they could write on a post-it note would help them and then give them 
Uh, so that would be the philosophical. It'd be a way to understand the passage, and then it would be a way to help talk through the actual issues of that time. Of course, we don't, I mean, we don't really have in the entire world many places where food is sacrificed to idols. So this, mm. you have to bring this into a, you know, there are some places where that's taking place. There are, you know, I was in Cambodia a few years ago and there they have these little shrines everywhere. Mm. Uh, it's the most Buddhist country in the world. I think it's 97% wow. Buddhist. And so they have these little kind of uh, shrines everywhere. And so when you go and do business at a place that has a shrine in Cambodia, if you were to say like, well, I'm not going to do business at a place that has a shrine because everybody that place is tainted by that. Well, that means that like 97% of businesses are more wow. because it's probably everybody that has a business is probably a Buddhist there. Uh, and so I bought stuff at places that had a shrine, you know, stuff to bring back to people here. And, you know, it's like the, these kind of things, you make it practical. And that's how you get to the practical side. You could preach this. Give, I gave the example of Halloween. Uh, yeah. I gave several other examples earlier. I think helping people run through the rubric would In the be Caribbean helpful. Wesleyan Church, there's a lot of back and forth debate about uh, about Carnival. That's a big mm. touch point. You know, a lot. I mean, that is such an outreach season for a lot of churches. But then there's a lot of church leaders who are understandably very uncomfortable with the both the paganism Spirit and the debauchery, debate. both mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. And and that's even a distinction within the the opposition is some. Right. It's more about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And exactly. others, it's more about the the spiritualism, and it and creates it a lot of tension. To run Carnival through this to be like yeah. the, you know, just run it through. You could almost it'd be almost a fun find and replace paraphrase. Pa- yeah. Paraphrasing is a fun way to deal with scripture. You kind of say it back in your own words. We do That's that right. every week in our microchurch. It's a part of the discovery Bible process where even somebody that's never uh, read scripture before will say it back uh, mm. in their own words. It's really been fun for me to listen oh, to that's even Muslim Muslim people who have never read any part of the Bible before say back. Sometimes somebody will do like I had one Muslim man. I'll call him Isaiah. That's not his real name, but that went through and recited back to us in his own words the entire chapter in early Matthew one time. He wow. didn't realize that we were going to like do sections. I must not have been clear. Uh, like, <laughs> I'm like, no, like, must have been no, paying like, attention. You know, yeah, no run of the mill evangelical is going to be able to recite it. But he did the whole chapter, and I was just like blown wow. away. And, he, and and he did not know who Joseph was in early Matthew. He like a nativity scene of Joseph and Mary and the baby. He never had heard of Joseph. Right. So that's how much knowledge he had about the Bible, but he said it all back. The reason I bring that up is if you recite Although this probably back, a better, clearer understanding of the text, because oh, he doesn't, beautiful. it's not, it's not layered him. over by all of the. Totally. <laughs> so like, um, the imagery you do that with this, with your own stuff, like, you, you know, your friends from the Caribbean um, that run Carnival through this, mm-hmm. run Halloween through this system. It, it's a really Fun little rubric. That'd be a good technique, even in preaching. Yeah, even in a larger sort of preaching setting, you could actually write it out. You know, uh, where you you know you don't have to have every word of the passage, and you have some blanks in it, and it could be like a handout or or something digital that people could do on their phone, and where like a Mad Libs, where it has the empty spots, and and you could teach it. You could teach it as it applied to that issue then and there, and then before you take the risk of applying it to something as a as a 
preacher. You could have everyone do that. Now think of an issue that's kind of a oh, tense that's point. so great. Have them do it. That actually loosens up the ground. Totally. And then maybe there's like one or two key issues yeah. of the time that you want to speak to and take the risk and apply it because the beauty is you can end with that. Here's the decision that me and my family have come to. And you can leave it open that it's, I'm, I haven't now pronounced what our church does. I'm saying, here's how to, right. here's the parameters within which to, to discern. And here's the choice that we've made. Yeah. And if you could right. bring that in, you know, people have already been loosened up to say, okay, okay, I, I see what, what you're trying to do here. That could be really fun. And I think more, I think Corinthians lends itself actually to some more interactive kinds of teaching and preaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you as a microchurch leader and me as a, as a, professor, like that's called teaching, right? We're always doing interactive stuff. Like preaching is not our default setting, right? We do it because it's this important uh, uh, craft and practice. But it would be Uh, a great way to get people involved and and even a fairly presentational church, you could do that because it's something- You totally could. You set up mics and the, set up microphones in the the, uh, aisles, or if you're you know, doing, you know, something online, you could even have somebody pre-prepared to do it. Really good participatory stuff. Really powerful. Hey, we, we had the dialogue with this person this week and they wanted to share theirs. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of this till now. And we don't often share stories about our dad. uh, But in my first church plant, um, which Hmm. you were actually part of and a drummer (laughs) in when you were a young man, in Indianapolis, we did progressional dialogue. Speaking of preaching, that's different. We did progressional dialogue preaching, if you recall. This was and before dear, the dear listener. This is like 1999. Nobody was doing that then. No, yeah, right. It was before the. It was when all the emerging church people were still youth pastors. It was too America. early. <laughs> yeah, it was, we were too early. A little too far ahead of our time. So we were doing progressional dialogue preaching, which we didn't know that's what it was called. We yeah, just that called was a discussion but only got termed that later. And we were doing that. And one of the guys was like, Hey, my, I, I, I actually, I'm just got back in touch with this guy. I'll call him Bob. That's not his real name, but Bob was, he was like, I have this real problem. I have this friend. He's not a Christ follower, but I go to his house. And every time I go over there, he smokes pot. And he said, you know, like, I, I don't know if I should go over there. I shouldn't maybe be around that. I don't want to encourage him, but I also, I'm like the only Christian he knows. Hmm. And we were debating that and dialoguing it as a whole church. (laughs) This is in the nineties. Like there's no States in America that have legalized pot at that point. And this is a Wesleyan church plant, right? Where, and so we're a little bit in, you know, kind of holy holiness people that, 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 that's not a usual kind of question asking that. Don't drink, don't smoke and don't go with girls who do. Yeah. And so we, um, but at that point, why it's a story about my dad is because it was progressional dialogue. My dad jumps in and says, you should go to his house. He's the, you're the only person that's influence on him. You know, uh, he said, you, you know, don't smoke. He's like, but really God doesn't care if your friend smokes pot. He's like, he cares about his soul. God doesn't even care if you smoke pot. That's what he said in front of, like, he wasn't like teaching. He was just a part of the dialogue yeah. in the church. Uh, but a senior member with some authority who probably went out of his way to be more extreme right. in order the dad, to loosen the, the con- dad to, of yeah. the pastor, yeah. the founding church planner, me, said this. And so I, of course, then had to sort of reel that back. Well, he might care. <laughs> uh, like, but that's uh, almost a direct application of verse eight, it is. right? He was doing what Paul God doesn't did care here. whether you smoke pot, but, and that's why the God Christ thing is relevant. This is not a sin against God, but it might be a sin against Christ. 
right? Because you're the body of Christ. So it does matter how things affect everyone else. You have to pay your own integrity. Your own freedom is not the only question. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Your relationship. It's interesting. Other is what matters more. My son has a close friend who's really addicted to several things, but he, in particular, he's addicted to smoking pot all the time. And it makes him where he doesn't, you know, uh, he, he can't get motivated and he's not doing much with his life. You guys get a little bit of the pothead haze where he doesn't, he doesn't get stuff done. Um, as is, as one is wont to do, not a lot of pot smokers are high producers. Yeah. Um, right. Right. And right. so he, um, and so he's asked my son for accountability. He's not a Christ follower, but he's asked huh. my son to sort of help him through that and to sort of overcome that addiction. Yeah. And that's because he's in his life. Right. And he talks to them, even though my son's never smoked pot, you know, he, and so it's, it's, it's sort of the, it's the responsibility we have over the weaker brother, right? And the weaker sister. Yeah. Man, that's so good. I think it'd be fun. I I had one last, maybe not last, but I I had one random idea uh, that's not really a sermon thing, but it's related. This could work in all kinds of sizes and shapes of churches. Verse six because it has a kind of hymnic quality to it, I, I would actually think that it could be a, this is a, there's an opportunity here to, to get out the interlinary on Bible hub so that you mm. see your options and how yeah. tight it is and meet up with the interlinary out with some musicians and just try to write a little song and ideally not this, this actually the, a lot of, some of our listeners might hear this and think, Oh, well, that's what the big churches can do. Well, that's actually downside because then they're going to perform it uh, and make it awesome. And that's great. But like, I'm thinking more like something that mm. could be sung a cappella with ease because it's so short. Totally. Right. And Through him we live. Yeah. And, and then you could play with the poetry of it with the musician to decide mm. what, what verbs to supply and let you have you have some, some poetic freedom about what verbs are going to work best to make true, it sound like English. True. But really stick, but really keep the, keep the, the, the prepositions, <laughs> the prepositions, yes! right? <laughs> preposition song, my favorite. No, that's and you have options and, that's and, so and you great. could do some, cause you know, I do a lot of translating, but not as a kind of, not to produce a finished translation and not as like an expert sort of producing a translation, right? My approach is more. I like to play with texts and see yeah, what right. they can do. Yeah. And so to me, like a lot of times people will ask like, okay, is a rendition, nice phrase. Like to me, I often, I, I can't do this with Hebrew yet because I lost my Hebrew. I've been getting it back the last couple of years, but with Greek, like I don't try to have like, okay, here's verse six in the JDV. I don't care about that. I like, I've got six or seven different ways that I might do it. You know what I mean? And again, you don't have to be as much of a Greek geek as me. All you need is interlinary. And, right. and someone with yeah. some poetic, someone with some songwriting skill. And even if you have songwriting skill, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I at least write a poem, even those who are not musical could that's right. write a poem where maybe the first line is, for us, there is but one God. And then write a yeah. second line that's even your own line. That's like, yeah, yeah, of course. That's sort of interpolated. Well, actually, the sweet spot would be a triplet, right? Is, is. You as a bearer of the word, the the, the teacher and and uh, and teacher of the the, the scriptures, um, who studied the text really well, so you have a sense of the the range of of what mm-hmm. would make sense, and then a, a lyric person, a songwriter who may even just be a poet, right? 
and then a musician who's only going to think about melody and setting that to melody. Yeah. And, yeah. and that could be a fun little conversation. Um, I'm, I might just go do that. That's, uh, I'm um, so shocked that you would suggest a triplet. No, like sure. Trio. Yeah. I see. Well, part I of it's just four. You got to have a children's director there. It's never yeah, going to Oh, that's true. That's true. Go that's true. Director, and then they're going to think like, what Perfect. are the motions? What are the Perfect. motions the kids are going to put do it in the body? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Cause that could be the one thing that every age level could do in a, in a large seg- uh, uh, age segregated church. Totally. You could all, you could all learn this little tune and prepositions. And, and actually this is a, yeah. And this is a side note. Side note, you could do this for a whole series on Paul because Paul is riddled with these little hymns. And there's a translation. It's not, it has, it's not the best translation in the world, but it it puts things in lines any chance it can. Um, And it's the New Jerusalem Bible. Oh, yeah. But like, the one thing I like about it is it's just, it's got tons of places where in, you know, like, I mean, here's just the doxology of Romans. This is bad podcasting, but. See, it puts the doxology at the end of Romans into like lined verse. See? Um, So New Jerusalem Bible, even just to help you find, not to use their translations, but just to find passages that in the original seem to have a poetic flow. So, I mean, my, the Greek New Testament that I use puts things in, in him whenever it can, Hmm. but that's a little, that's a little out of reach, I think for some, uh, but most standard translations don't. And so it's it, sometimes it takes some work to find them. And I think New Jerusalem Bible is a great place to find. I mean, like almost the whole book of John is in line verse in Jer- New Jerusalem Bible. And the discourses in John don't sound repetitive when you think of them as poetry. They sound like normal poetry. Um, <laughs> right. So anyway, that was just a little idea to pitch that. And as a general pitch about preaching on Paul that there's sometimes, especially because we think of Paul as being a little advanced for kids, but not these hymns. Anybody could learn. Anybody right. could learn verse six. Love that. Um, and instead of just using a ready-made translation, create, create one. So anywho, that was a and little I idea. I wanted to attack at the that end. Even, you know, with blue letter Bible or Bible hub or, yeah. you know, even, even some free cheap online resources, which is all I use anymore. I don't even have my, uh, my, you know, paid versions of stuff anymore for somebody yeah. like me. That's not a scholar. It's helpful. I don't have logos. <laughs> I don't use yeah. logos. Yeah, I just, I, used I just to. use Bible. Hub. Awesome. But uh, yeah, Bible hub's got enough. Up. Yeah. It's got yeah, enough. I use yeah. blue letter Bible. So, I mean, there, and there's seven or six, you know, other ones too, but uh, awesome. That's cool. And, and I do feel like I do leave this passage with a little of the Paul's personalization to say, hmm, what am I doing that's causing others to sin? Is there anything mm, I'm doing? Yeah, that, that's the that, question. Yeah, I have the freedom in Christ. I don't have like this constant sense of a burden on me of like, you know, you know, my sins and the things I can and can't do. I don't have a laundry list of that stuff. But what am how am I expressing even that freedom in Christ that might uh, detract from others or get them or or even just be a distraction to what's most important? Wow. I know I have to do that with my Muslim friends. Uh, we, every mm. single week when we send out a text about our meeting, we say, you know, that, you know, things, people of all faiths or none are welcome. Uh, we always serve halal, uh, you know, ability foods. Well, that's something where I don't have a conviction about that. I don't think that's important at all, but they do. And so I want to make sure I'm uh, adapting to them. It's a little easier when, or a little more obvious, maybe not easier with them, 
but is is that true of other people too and other mm. things I do or don't do? And I just need to be sensitive to that and not just think, oh, they need to get over that. Yeah. And that's a personal practical application as well as a very natural could just be, I mean, sometimes my mantra in a sermon, sometimes it's a statement, but so, sometimes the hook is a statement that I introduce, but it's not clear what it means. And then the meaning of it's over and mm-hmm. the meaning and applications unfolds over the course of a sermon. But sometimes it's the question. There's a question that just is the hook. Mm-hmm. And the goal of the sermon is less to answer the question and more to teach people how to ask it. I think and this is one of those. This, this could be the opening line of the sermon, you know, is, is there anything I'm doing that's causing others to fall? And and to play with, again, the translation, find a word that's, yep. you know, you know I, I grew up hearing cause others to stumble. I've heard it too many times. I'd like to hear a different way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um. Trip them up, scandal on it. It's a word for tripping. You know, you could say that. How am I, you know, is there anything I am doing that's tripping others yeah. up or something yeah, like that? There, and then to keep I'm asking that question. That's distracting people from Jesus. I like distracting because you. that's when you trip and fall is when you're distracted. And you're distracted. Right? Yeah. I, and I like distracted. I, I, and I do like the concept of focus. Everybody wants more focus in their life. But. And distraction links really well to verse six and why I want to make it something you can sing. Right, because distraction is not solved by beating away the thing that's distracting you. It's returning your attention to the main yes. thing, right? So to have something and nothing brings me back from distraction Let better us than a, than a, throw than off a tune. Then entangles and fix and our nothing. Eyes on Jesus. Nothing works better than a tune. Fix your eyes at Jesus, right? It's a song, right? Yep. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Bingo. Well done. And well said. Yeah. Cool, man. Hey, this was fun, dude. I have a blast doing this with you. Good to Appreciate see you. Appreciate it. God bless. Thanks so much to you, David. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks to all you listeners, um, especially if you've become a patron. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and do that. I don't see a cent of that. That's just to pay for overhead and to to uh, uh, pay Todd for the amount of hours that he puts in to make this happen. So um, if you get a chance to become a patron, that'd be really cool. Uh, and with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. And read the poetry. 